Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio, and wherever fine products are being sold. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable Prince Charles's late bastard grandson. With me all the way from across the pond is some guy. Oh, yes, um, Stephen Parsons. Top of the morning to you, Ron. Yeah, close enough. Begara. I don't know what yeah. to say over here. Welcome to Ireland. Hi. Tonight we're, we, are, we are, in fact, live from the Emerald Isle, from the county of Wexford, uh, which is uh, in the southeast corner of the Irish Republic. A little way across the Irish Sea from my usual haunt in West Wales. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think so. Mm -hmm. Because I've come over to explore uh, Ireland's most haunted house, a very haunted fort at Duncannon, and, of course, later in the week to uh, rerun Ghostology. Ghostology, now are we talking the full chorus? We are talking the full Monty, the full kahunas. Wow, that's that's interesting. So that's fourteen hours ish. Yeah, yeah, that would uh yeah. That's yep, night all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this lightweight <laughs> stuff that we did for the American, which is ghost ghostology light diet. Well, you know, we, we 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 can't uh you know, I mean, we we have a short attention span. No, we just did it a bit differently for different markets because, you know, ghostology, which I should explain, ghostology is, as it says on the tin, it's the study, the ology, the, the study of ghosts uh, as, as opposed to parapsychology. Um, and it's really a course that's, it's aimed at people more than ghost hunters. It, it, it covers uh, people who are just interested in the subject. They maybe watch the television program, programs and want to know a little bit more, get under the skin a little bit. It's aimed at the ghost hunters themselves who want a little bit more information about some of the topics that uh, they may have seen covered on television programs or read about in parapsychology. And it's also aimed at, you know, it's aimed at experienced uh, investigators and parapsychologists because parapsychologists often don't really do very much in-field investigation of locations. Mm-hmm. So it's designed to, to hopefully give people, you know, the broadest um, perspective on ghost hunts. You yourself, you, know, you, you you managed to sit through it last year when we, we did a different version of it in um, Boston, well, in Mass, mm-hmm. um, which seemed to go down well. Nobody fell asleep. Nobody left the room. Well, you couldn't see me. I could. You were in the front row, heckling. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I have something interesting to tell you is that I had a medium on my show and I know you love mediums. Oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. 
on Monday, and it was amazing because she went to Arthur Finley, who was offering a course in paranormal investigating. Yeah, maybe I should do a course in mediumship. You know, they want to tr- they want to teach people what I do. Uh, maybe we should teach people what they do. Mm. And, and she also took <laughs> courses from uh, from um, our friend Mr. Arbeck as well. Oh yeah, Lloyd. Um, yeah. Lloyd. R- R- Lloyd does run a number of um, of courses, as indeed. Um, oh, who is it? Barry Taff, I think, is also uh, doing some courses now uh, stateside. But Lloyd's, uh, I think, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think he's uh, accessible by phone, via internet, and I think that they're supported by the Rhine Institute. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, they the are. You know, that would be one. Um, probably a notch above even ghostology in terms of content and um you know it's it's a much longer course i think the it's 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 entirely theory based but it, it many many more hours because so the here, 14 hours of ghostology here we had here we had a medium that was actually trying to get some information from someone who really knows about it versus someone who's just seen it on tv do you know what we've always found with ghostology and um, similar is that those who come at it, the experienced investigators who, who come on the course, uh, tend not to get as much from it as people who are uh, psychic or spiritual in their inclination because it's, it's a whole new approach to those people and they do tend to get gain much more from it. Whereas what we found in the past when we run Ghostology and it's Forerunner, uh, so you want to be a ghost hunter, was that the ghost hunters would come along and they would sit through it and they would go, yeah, 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 we already know how to do this. We're already experienced ghost hunters. They were there just as a, as a tick box, as a, almost as a, as a, you know, we've been on a course run by, by Dr. Kieran O'Keefe and, and Steve Parsons. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question to ask you because she was telling me about this, and I, I was wondering what your thoughts were. were. This was from Arthur Findlay. Um, they used the flare. So, for instance, if someone said that there was making contact with spirit, right, they would use the flare to uh, – uh, how can I say it? To point it at the ground in front of them, and uh-huh. and often they would see temperature drops. Uh, so I was wondering what you thought it would be on that. Is is that a, a, a acceptable way of doing it? Would that? What's you know? What's your thoughts on general? Um. Well, off the top of my head, it's an unusual method that that strikes me as being not very valid in terms of what it's going to give you because the idea of a thermal imager is it, it can it can gauge the temperature of a, an infrared source uh, a solid surface it can't do it for a, for any uh, gas of course uh, right, should, right. Um, and it almost sounds and I, I say i haven't seen any videos i haven't seen the method at all but it sounds mm-hmm. more like they're using it as a communication device rather than, you know the flashing no, lights on no no not at all no not at no, all. Not at all. no 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 okay it was it was just uh, as a as a means to verify that there was definitely cold and you know you, you know the correlation between uh temperature drop and spirit uh so that's what their idea was and, well, and I, I found that interesting actually well yeah you've done the same you've done the flare course and you'll know that the that the uh, the infrared camera will calibrate itself every few seconds right. um, automatically because um 
it needs to and if you if it doesn't or, or if it doesn't calibrate correctly what you will get is small variations in the apparent temperature mm-hmm. and the the problem that you would have um, which they explain on the course is gauging you know these small variations mm-hmm. if you're reading things into those variations or trying to interpret those variations in any way it may be due down to uh, camera calibration rather than um, you know, any... well, they were they were talking extensive uh, variations, which was interesting. But then again, I thought too, like for instance, if for instance, if someone was standing there, and they said, "Oh, I felt a cold, thing, cold thing," and they had taken a step back or two, of course, the ground beneath where they were standing would we'll be warmer. Yeah. And if they put the flare on it, you would have a, a drop in temperature because of as the heat the heat dissipated from. Uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, and yeah. and you you also get um, you know, what, but what you what you first mentioned was very very interesting because that is I think the holy grail for investigators where you get a subjective experience. I felt the temperature drop. I felt the room get colder, and the you have either from a thermometer or from an infrared camera, um, some objective correlation of that taking place. And in fact, on one occasion, uh, and only one occasion, that I can you know, think of in the last... Well, we got our first thermal camera 2007, so in that entire time, the last seven, six, seven years, um, on one occasion, we had a group of people who were conducting a seance replication. Uh, it was at the Hex nightclub in Birkenhead, and... The whole reason for us being there is because the staff had called us in after they had conducted a seance around a Ouija board, Mm -hmm. and subsequent to that, things had taken place. So we had the same people recreate that, and amongst the tools that we were using was a FLIR camera. And what was interesting is, as as the people around the table said that they felt the temperature drop, we could see the same temperature drop um, from the from the objects around surrounding the people, and we saw the temperature rise as they reported that the room got warmer again. Now they had no way of knowing what we were seeing. We could obviously hear what they were saying, but we did have the FLIR camera seeming to confirm everything that they were that, that they were said that this group of people were saying. That was very very interesting. I find that yeah, I find that very interesting. Um, Okay, so that's that's that. I just wanted your take on that because I found it fascinating uh, that they would do it. I've never heard of. I've really never heard of a FLIR used as in that capacity. No, I haven't. I haven't. I've always said they're an incredibly useful tool, but I think in terms of uh, investigation, they they allow us. For instance, uh, one of the things that used to take a lot of time to do was baseline temperature observations of locations, and a thermal imaging camera you can do that now in minutes rather than hours. And also, I found them excellent for fraud detection because, mm-hmm. you know, you, as you said, when people have touched something, they leave. They tend to leave behind a, uh, a thermal imprint of... Yeah. yeah, a thermal imprint. And I found on several occasions... You, you in fact, have seen the video uh, that, we, that I showed as part of Ghostology, uh, where a medium is, should we say, giving the spirits a helping hand thermally. Mm-hmm. And we're caught out by a thermal camera. Yeah, it's all fascinating stuff. So, anyways, you are in Ireland. And I am. 
Yeah, and yeah. you can probably tell I'm out, I'm outdoors uh, on a lovely summer's. Well, it is a very summer's evening, to be honest with you. Not really, in the sky. And the, the reason that we're we're outdoors is because um, some of the locations. Um, that there's two very particular locations. Now, I'm not an expert over here, so we have a, a guest tonight. We have Michael Benson from Oh, Boston excellent, Paranormal. Um, and Michael's been on the show before, and uh, Michael's been kind enough to guide me um and thus the show through two very interesting locations one one of which that uh wexford paranormal themselves have been continuously investigating for some time that's duncanon fort um but also interestingly for fans of ghost adventures and uh mr bacon um we have ireland's most ha- the most haunted house in ireland according to all of the uh, roadside Banners and signs, uh, which is Loftus Hall, very, very nearby to where we are. Oh, so that's um, fascinating. I, I, as I said, Michael is here to be our guide and expert on these locations tonight. And uh, also, we're very close. We're not very far from the JFK Arboretum because the Kennedy clan are also from County Wexford. And John uh-huh. John F. Kennedy made a, a visit here in 1963 and planted some trees. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Any, anyways. Uh, Without further ado, uh, are we going to have Michael on? Hey, Ron. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm just sitting here listening to your conversation. Um, you I had a dream about the show last night where we were uh, having the interview, and I said nothing for 58 minutes. I thought for a moment that we were on track. <laughs> See, there you go. I mean, that's that was my goal, but evidently, because I, I actually, that wasn't a dream. I was actually giving you those thoughts to my astral projection. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah. One of my many talents, you know, is is Van Helsing. Well, it obviously worked then because um, it kept me up for a while last night. (laughs) So anyways, Michael, uh, Steve said that you have investigated uh, this fort for quite some time now. Yeah, we've had the the luxury of of, uh, being able to go back on on frequent and numerous occasions uh, to explore the, the, the reports and claims that other people have made, whether they be members of the public originally and subsequent to that, other teams that have been there. Uh, and what interests us, I think, is, is the consistency of, of reported claims and experiences that people have had. Um, now, the fort itself, it, it goes back, it, it dates back as far as uh, 1588. It was first oh. discussed in 1550, but it was built in 1588. So it's seen a lot of, of, of uh, yeah. history. Yeah, actually when, when they built it. So, so Say that again? I was there actually when they built it. Oh, very good. Okay, well then yeah, yeah. You, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can. I can remember the yep. phenomena mm-hmm. that happened. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it, it seemed a, like it was only yesterday. <laughs> well, you know, depending on your perspective of, um, and if you're a good boy, you'll get to visit it next year again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we we can't hear both of you. I was a little. I wasn't sure that we could hear both of you at the same time. Well, there is some background noise because obviously we're outdoors and uh, these that, are And that's, that's a banshee, right? <laughs> no, that's because you know, it's a tourist area. It's the middle of the Easter holidays and uh, inevitably there are other people around tonight. Excellent. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, I mean, what type of paranormal activity is associated with the fort? 
Uh, one of the claims in terms of apparitions um, have been made by a number of people. In fact, the most recent one being only last weekend. But I know the manager of the fort has on two particular occasions seen the figure of a, a male on what's known as the Centuries Walk, which is at the back of the uh, infirmary uh, that looks out towards the sea. Um, on the 16th of March, on both occasions. And interestingly enough, there, there's records that show um, one of the soldiers was killed by a piece of uh, uh, stone that was dislodged from the, the soldier's walk wall by uh, a cannonball on the 16th of March. So, I mean, that's just a coincidental correlation, perhaps. But it's interesting to note that we can pinpoint a particular incident uh, along with the observed experiences of, of people. There was a team in from Austria last Friday night, and as they were coming back from the lower gun battery, they uh, were walking across the parade ground and were convinced that they had either seen myself or Michael Carroll, who's another member of the team, uh, in the middle of the parade ground, when in actual fact both of us were upstairs in the infirmary. Now, they had cameras running, but whether they've captured anything, I haven't had a chance to speak to them since. But again, from, a, I suppose, a personal experience point of view, for them, it's an interesting one that also correlates with the, the suggestion that this apparition has been seen a number of times. Um, in the infirmary itself, lots of footsteps are heard on the upstairs floor, and they come to the top of a stairwell, but never come down the stairs. And interestingly enough, the stairs that they don't come down it was a recent addition and wouldn't have been there when it was used in, in, as an infirmary. Now, again, that might just be coincidental, but you can hear the heavy footfall of what's described as boots as opposed to any other sort of footwear. Um, you know, what's interesting, Michael, is, is we have a uh, Coast Guard base next to the uh, lighthouse that uh, I help uh, manage, and right. uh, the Coast Guard hears just the opposite. They hear footsteps going up the stairs, but they never go up to the top. Right, okay. Well, this particular stairwell wouldn't have been there when it was operating as a, as a military fort um, because at the time, when it was an infirmary, they would bring stretchers and or coffins, if necessary, along the corridor at the top stairs and out a door at the top of the stairs and down the concrete steps because, obviously, they wouldn't have been able to turn at right angles to bring it down the stairs that's there now that we use today. Uh, we actually had a question from Kirsten and the the uh, chat room and exactly where are you on island? I, I don't, not sure what she's looking for. Uh, okay. Um, if she looks for the town of Wexford. Oh, um, okay. That's as close. That's the closest where we are. We're just, uh, just outside the town of Wexford. Uh, so if you look at a map of Ireland, if you look in the bottom right hand corner, uh, you will see uh, the town, County Wexford, and we're in the town of Wexford, which is uh, right on the coast. Right, that's that's where Michael. Do you do you come from uh, Wexford, Michael? That's right. Yeah, Wexford would be my home county. So we'd have staked out a lot of the uh, well-known locations in the area uh, over the years, um, such as Duncanon Fort. Obviously, when we spoke before, we discussed um, Enniscorthy Castle at length as well. Mm -hmm. um, and not too far from Duncanon Fort is Loftus Hall, which Steve mentioned earlier on. And which I went to visit uh, to see it for myself last night. I, oh. uh, I, I took a drive, a short drive from where, where I'm staying, um, mm -hmm. down to Loftus Hall and, of course, to the Hookhead Lighthouse, uh, which uh, I posted one or two pictures onto my own Facebook. And, of course, I know you're interested in lighthouses. Uh, Hookhead Lighthouse, which was uh, 
has strong links with Pembrokeshire. My my uh, where I live um, is the old world's oldest operational lighthouse. It's been going for over eight hundred years. It was originally manned by monks, and it's still fully operational today. And directly opposite it, on the opposite side of the is it East Slay? What's the river? Oh. Uh... You're talking about um, Crook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it gives it, it's it's reputed to give rise to the the the, say, the well-known English expression uh, by crook. hook or by crook, mm. uh, with, because opposite each other is is hook head, and then opposite on the op, uh, in County Waterford on the other side of the river, uh, about two or three miles across the across the estuary, is the Crook Lighthouse um, at Dunmore Head. So uh, people would navigate in by hook or by crook. Mm. <laughs> the, re the reason the fort was established in the first instance was actually to try and, uh, to some extent, marshal the Spanish ships that were operating as pirates in the area quite successfully at the time. And in fact, there's a lot of um, artefacts still at sea, like cannons from 1645 from the mid 1600s, that type of thing. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of history. Interestingly enough, um, King James II left Ireland after the Battle of the Boyne uh, by boat from Duncannon Fort in mm -hmm. 1690, I think it was. And today I was in the town of New Ross, uh, which isn't very far away. It's just on the, the sort of edge of uh, County Wexford and County Waterford. And in a the shop there, they were, there was a... Um, Amongst lots of things, stuffed ducks and uh, other stuff that you could buy was a rusty cannonball that had been fished out um, from the river uh, that had been apparently fired by the Spanish Armada. Really? So yeah. What was what was what was that baby euros. going for? Uh, Fifty euros. It was a big, big lump of iron, rusty iron. But um, no, I have an English Civil War cannonball, so... Uh, so that's, my, that's not coming over to the States with me then, huh? I, I don't think it fit in hand luggage. It weighs, <laughs> it weighs 50 pounds, Ron. Yeah, um, yeah. If, I'll, uh, musket balls, yeah, I don't mind bringing musket balls over as hand luggage, but I'm not bringing a 50-pound cannonball. <laughs> what's interesting, what's really, really interesting is when I came over last year, I was talking to Michael, and, because I'd seen the banner signs for Loftus Hall, Mm -hmm. Islands and huge signs say Ireland's most haunted house, which of course I found very intriguing. Much more intriguing was Michael's take on it because it turns out that what we're dealing with here is, is a wee bit of a tourist attraction and uh, claims that ain't necessarily so. Um, That's a surprise. Yeah. Um, obviously, its reputation transcends the Atlantic because uh, Ghost Adventures spent the night there investigating and had some extraordinary experiences. Um, but the truth is, as they say, stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. um, as Michael was the one who explained it to me a year ago, I think Michael's probably the best one to explain it to, to our listeners tonight. Uh, I don't know. We've got about four minutes or so to the ad break, so... Uh, so, uh, briefly. <laughs> well, I mean, look, uh, it has to be said, Loftus Hall is, uh, in appearance, a fantastic location to look at. It's it's the quintessential Woodering Heights type of location where you would like expect... Like Downton Abbey. Absolutely. Um, I would love Downton Abbey. <laughs> I, I was led to understand that, actually, Ron. But, yeah, I mean, the first records go back as far as 1350 when uh, Redmond Hall was first built. Uh, I, I think... Um, the TV show might have suggested that the building was built in 1666, 
which isn't in natural fact correct. It, it passed by um, a land act into the possession officially of the Loftus family in 1666, but they would have had it in their possession from 1650 in any case. And it was belong, It was the Redmonds who had um, possession of it up till then. In fact, Cromwell's forces uh, laid siege to it in 1649. And uh, it was because uh, the... The family, well, the father of the family was quite quite old and advanced in his years. Uh, they surrendered the property, but on favourable terms, Carmel allowed him to see out the remainder of his days there. But I think he only lived another 12 months or two years after that, uh, at which point he passed into possession of the Loftus family. Uh, the story, the legend of Loftus Hall um, relates to 1672 when the handsome stranger arrived and cards were played and cards were dropped and foot uh, hooves were seen and allegedly the the spectral visitor disappeared through the ceiling um but even in doing so it was a most considerate individual altogether because he didn't do any structural damage and the ceiling joists were all intact it was only the uh, the outer surfaces seemingly that, that suffered the consequence of his presence mm. that's that's uh but, That's it's funny and, how it happens that way. Yeah, isn't but it any, though? And, and but there's an interesting but coming up. Yeah, <laughs> um, in six in in 1868, the tapestry room, as it was then, had been knocked into another room to to make a billiard room, and then. In 1870, as the history books tell us, uh, it was the, the old Redmond Hall was raised to the ground, and the present structure that we see today was built on the foundations of the one that's there that was there prior to it. Ah, and yet they still trade on the fact that the scars of the devil flying out through the ceiling are present within Loftus Hall, uh, a building that didn't even exist at the time of the legend. That's a shame. It is a shame, isn't yeah, I mean, it? I mean, if people are interested in, in reading the history, um, extensively Wexford history has been covered by uh, Philip Herbert Hoare in 1904, the history of the town and county of Wexford. It's in four volumes, and it's actually, I think, volume four that deals with that area. But it's a, fan, a fantastic read because you have first-hand depositions of participants in battles and skirmishes of the time. Um, so it really immerses you in, in what it was like for them uh, by virtue of first-hand experiences. We do actually have... We are going to get Michael to read one of these original depositions from the time, but um, I'm conscious that we're going to come to the ad break, so we'll, we'll, we'll do that after yeah, we've done the, that. The interesting thing, too, if anybody's interested in the haunted history of Wexford, they might pick up Michael's book, which is Haunted Wexford. Indeed. Yes, thank you for that plug, uh, Ron. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's an entertaining read. It's, it's, it's one that you can do with one eye closed, so... Um, the forward's very good as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, know, we know the guy who wrote that, don't we, Ron? Yeah. But he's, got say, big, he's got a big head, doesn't he, if I remember? <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I don't think you could come to Wexford, have an interest in, in the subject of the paranormal, and not visit Loftus, mm -hmm. to be fair. It's, it's, a, it's a place to be seen. You, you, you absolutely... I mean, last year I didn't because um, I, I had different things already on the agenda. Um and you know, you know me, beaches and chip shops, um, fried food, and anything to avoid ghosts. But you know, this time uh, you have to succumb, don't you? Um, and go check it out for yourself. The banners, uh, you you succumb to the charm of Ireland's most haunted house. Ultimately, so you're playing the game. You know, they're there to sell you the tourist attraction. And it worked for me. Of course, Loftus is so, also anyways, famous for a very here's, famous. Here's the break there. Uh, you're going to have to hold on a second there, young man, yeah. because it's now the break time. 
You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International with Steve Pass and Ron Kolick and our special guest, Michael Benson, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio, and all places where good stuff are being sold. We'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to Family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Collette, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Venice. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you to tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Tokenet. Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your TuneIn app or catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. And the beating of Ron's frantic heart brings us back into part two of Ghost Chronicles International, which appropriately tonight is being broadcast not only live from New England, but also live from Old Ireland, the Emerald Isle from the county of Wexford, um, where I am holidaying and kind of working at the same time and uh, visiting some of the most haunted attractions, including the most haunted house in Ireland. You're listening to us live, hopefully, on Toginet, Para-X, the Ghost Channel, and 
Radio Crackle, or you might be listening to us, of course, on iTunes or one of our podcasts. Our guest tonight is Michael Benson, uh, author and lead, one of the lead investigators of Wexford Paranormal and author of Haunted Wexford. And I've got to say the forward to that book's pretty good, too. And before the break, of course, we were talking about um, Ireland's most haunted house, Loftus Hall. And uh, was in the news not so long ago. It made certainly uh, it was on the Ghost Chronicles page. It made made most of the British uh, national newspapers because somebody took a rather good ghost photograph. It was so good that anybody with an iPhone was out there the following day. It was actually taken with an iPhone by uh, some tourists, a a young girl. I think she was 12 or 13 at the time. She took the picture, and then when they looked at the picture afterwards, lo and behold, there was uh, a phantom female appearing in uh, the doorway or one of the um, ground floor windows of Loftus Hall. Um, One that was relatively easy to create, I have to say, because the same ghost was also in the app that I had on my iPhone. But, um, yeah, I know. But, you know, why let the truth get... You see, this is tourist dollars, isn't it? Tourist dollars. Mm. Um, Before the break, and before we lose the light here, because we're outdoors tonight in Ireland, and um, the sun's gone down and the temperature's going down with it, we have an original deposition um, that relates to Duncanon Fort, which is way up the the coast from Loftus Hall. Duncanon is the location where uh, Wexford Paranormal have and it is ron it's very very much like the location you took me to last year um except their lighthouse is about three miles down the coast rather than inside the fort complex but in terms of um you know the layout uh mm-hmm. duncan is, is older and probably a little larger uh but in terms of of you know very very similar and quite similar in terms of the stories. Yeah, we, we talked about the connection between Duncan and Fort and Loftus Hall. In fact, in, in 1642, Captain Ashton, who had aspirations of his soldiering future, got permission from the, uh, the governor, if you like, of the fort to lay siege to Loftus Hall. Permission was granted, but based on the agreement and understanding that should his first attack of ordnance fail to breach the uh, location, that he would return by sea because they'd taken a ship and some 90 or 100 men um, to uh, the fort. Uh, It wasn't successful. He did persist. The noise of the skirmish led to Irish Confederate um, soldiers arriving on the scene and the soldiers from Duncannon headed off in all sorts of different directions. Uh, A lot of them were captured and killed on site and a number of them were taken subsequent to that to Wexford and then back to Ballyhack where they were uh, hung. Um, so that that's um, an occurrence of 1642. But we have an interesting first-hand deposition from a, a William MacRichard of Redmond's Hall. Uh, he was a husband's man and he was about 50 years of age at the time. And he said he was a servant to Mr. Redmond of the Hall in the first year of the war and was in the said house when a party of the English came by water from the fort of Duncannon and shot against the said Redmond's Hall, when and whither there came a party of Irish forces and arms which was to the opponent's perfect and sure remembrance upon St. Margaret's Day in July, I think it's the 20th of July, and the war broke forth in the year of 1641, and they fought with and killed and drowned of the English about 100, part of this uh, deponent um, afterwards buried, and the said killing being done, um, the deponent keeping said Redmond's door with a spit to see William Hoare and Anthony Hoare, his son, John Deverick's of Mount Pill, um, Thomas Roach and others come into the 
said Mr. Redmond's house in arms, when and where he did see the said Mr. Hoare and the rest salute and be saluted by Mr. Redmond, and that they drank in the said house, and several of the Irish soldiers that were at the killing came in, came with and in the company of said Mr. Hoare into the house and there drank. He did see Lieutenant Esmond and the English soldiers taken prisoners at the fight were brought into the hall when the said William Hoare and the rest of their, as aforesaid, and from thence they were carried to Wexford and afterwards hanged at Ballyhack, uh, as he had credibly heard. So that was a, a deposition some years later in around about 1653 uh, in an investigation into the attack on Redmond Hall, as it was then. Interestingly enough, back then, Redmond Hall was described as a castle. Um, in the Down survey uh, that was carried out at the time, it was described as a castle because it had towers on, on, on various sides and so forth as well. Uh, all of which were, were raised to the ground again in, in around about 1860. I'm I, I, I'm interested because we have the the, the very well known story that that Loftus Hall trades on the devil, but it, this claim to being Ireland's most haunted house is is obviously based on a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what sort of hauntings does Loftus? Before we get to that, Loftus Hall, we, I, we do have a question for Michael okay. in the chat and. Uh, this is from Kirsten, and she says, has Michael had any personal experiences uh, at Duncannon Fort? Yes, we've had a couple of interesting ones, um, and they have been repeated, which is what's really interesting about them. We were investigating there one night, myself and Robbie, one of the other members of the team, were down in the Croppy Boy Cell, which is underground, where they would have had two large cannons suspended from the ceilings uh, facing out to sea. So you go down to Dry Moat, you enter an iron door, down a series of steps and into a cell. When we were in the cell, we could hear the stone that we had placed in front of the iron door to keep it open being dragged across the stone floor as if somebody was pulling it shut. And we thought, gosh, someone's going to lock us in. So we, we made a beeline for the door only to discover the door was still back flush against the wall and the stone was still safely ensconced against it. So we heard the sound, but, but there had been no movement or at least we could observe no movement. On another occasion, we had members of the public in with us, and I was actually recounting that very same story when shortly after that, we heard the same sound of stone dragging on stone. And at that point, I took one of the members of the public with me to go explore the fact that we had heard it. Again, the door was back against the wall, and again, the stone was where we had laid it. So it was just uh, an observation based on sounds we heard, but we couldn't, we couldn't find any reasonable or feasible explanation for its occurrence. And at the time, everyone else would have been at least 500 yards away in various other locations like the infirmary or the long hall or the officer's mess. So that was an interesting personal experience that I've had on two occasions down there. Oh, that's pretty cool. And uh, we also have another question for you from Kat in the Parax chat room. She says, uh, uh, has any shadow people been seen there? That's an interesting question. Shadow figures. Mm. Mm. And orbs. <laughs> People have, have commented on, on observations of shadow movement. And, and that's as much as I can honestly say, because without exploring the potential causal factors at the time, uh, whether they were caused by anything spectral or not, is, is, is just, um, you know, up for question, I guess, you know. Why, why do we have this fascination with shadow people? I mean, it's a relatively new phenomenon, isn't it? Not really. Shell people around for years. 
It seemed more more popular now, but back yeah, when that's I first started doing uh, Ghost Chronicles, the original one, we had uh, various people on talking about shadow shadow people. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like EVP. EVP has been around for thirty, forty years, um, and yet all of a sudden it explodes into into sort of mass uh, interest, along with shadow people, and of course now we have black eyed children. I mean, Ryan, well, you could argue with this. The, the figure that was seen by the member of the Austrian paranormal team that were there last Friday night could be uh, described as a shadow figure because it had no definition other than the form of a person. Mm. So it, the, the interesting thing, too, about it is I think shadow people are interesting because we all see shadows. Uh, it, it's part of uh, actually a default and not a default, but a... Uh, a uh, result of our eyesight, the way it it is in itself. Uh, yeah, is, it's, it, it's an interesting description as well, though, because, you know, shadows are traditionally associated with a light source that, you know, that then a shadow is cast. But predominantly shadow people are seen in, you know, very low light situations where there is no, you know, uh, obvious cause of the shadow itself. So what, so what you're actually seeing is a black, black, figure rather than a shadow so you know the 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 term itself is slightly misleading i think well if you i mean if you do any research on them there are various classes of shadow people actually Uh, there's classes of orbs as well (laughs) right but they're they're actually a hierarchy of shadow people Uh, yeah um yeah i can relate to that because as only this past week gone before i left for ireland um i had a very interesting discussion from a lady in california um who via facebook messaging um uh gave me a long description of all the different classifications and hierarchies of orbs see there you go so uh, yeah we do like to classify into into pigeonhole but i want to come back to my question now because yeah, I'm I, sorry about that. that uh, I, I there, was, there was interest in the show no, is about our listeners. So, um, you know, well, it, I'm a listener too. <laughs> um, I, I've never I known understand. you to listen. I listen every week to the podcast. Mm. I can never get enough of your dulcet tones. Yes. I I hear the story of the devil at Loftus Hall and the claim which is written on all of the banners along all of the roadsides. Um, you know, forget Dunkin' Donuts and KFC. This is Ireland's most haunted house banners. How are they basing that claim? They can't base it surely on that one legend. There must be other instances or incidences that are taking place. Yeah, there are documented reports of Lady Tottenham's ghost being seen on a number of occasions um, going back into the early uh, 1800s as well where she would enter a room past the four-poster bed and then exit or, or disappear through a wardrobe door that, that may or may not have been a door to another room at the time. There's, there's a number of reports of that phenomena by a George Reed and his son, who was Reverend Reed, with a 60-year span of difference. The father not having told the son for, for quite some time about that until he revealed his own experiences with it. So there's... I suppose an interesting correlation of similar experience uh, that relates to the house. I think what we have to remember as well, though, if we look historically at it, uh, the simplest reason may perhaps be, and, and I'm just putting this out there as a theory, that 
this stranger came along. He spent a number of days there. There was an encounter between himself and Anne. She may have become pregnant. You know, social class at the time was so important that mm-hmm. rather than acknowledge the the outcome of that encounter, you would create and construct a story so so grandiose as to having had an encounter with the devil himself. Well, I could understand that. What I found very interesting, and again, uh, it, it sort of ties me back to... Uh, the thought that we investigated last year, Ron, was the the uh, number of accounts where there are uh, strong similarities between people who are disconnected and don't know the other accounts. Uh, that's very much the case at Duncannon. And, you know, like I said to you um, last year, I'm extremely envious of, of yourself um, and also Michael's team because you have the opportunity in to be able to examine these claims in depth. And I find that absolutely fascinating. Duncannon is is a, a very interesting uh, location because you have the history, but you have contemporary reports. You heard Michael just give two, account, uh, two accounts of his own experiences. Whilst, whilst I was there last year with Michael um, around Halloween, uh, we visited, and we were talking to some of the members of staff there who, who were giving us yet more accounts. But one of the things that I found fascinating was a report from um, the investigations of Wexford Paranormal, which I think were related to the sound of, of guns or cannons being heard uh, at Duncannon Fort with, with no apparent explanation. I said to Michael at the time, because we're dealing with a coastal fort, could it be something like barizal guns? Now, a barizal gun... Uh, for those that don't necessarily know, is is an expression for the the acoustic effect when a, a wave hits a cliff, uh, and then the 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 water explodes upwards uh, through the cliff uh, in the form of a blowhole, a sort of a pressure wave going up, blowing the water. Now, when I went down to South uh, down to Hookhead last night, the first thing that I, I saw as I drove down, I'm only uh, two or three miles beyond Duncannon. Um, are these warning signs right along the side of the roadway saying beware blowholes along the cliff edges. And I I did talk to Michael earlier about it. It's something I'd like to come back and maybe bring some sound recording equipment to try and, uh, you know, under certain conditions, would these blowholes be producing these cannonade-type sounds, uh, the barizal gun? That, that may be responsible for some of the effects. Yeah, I mean, it, it can only be described experientially as what sounds like cannon fire. Interestingly enough, there, there, there would also appear to be what feels like a minor vibration in the ground as well. Um, I just recall one particular, when, when Steve mentioned staff there, one particular story that a member of staff told me, again, it was his own personal experience, but we get a lot of military reenactment um, members down there from time to time, and they're so used to seeing them around, whether they be dressed as uh, World War Two German infantry officers or red coats. But on this particular occasion, he went into the long hall to retrieve some uh, item of equipment, and in the long hall was uh, a man dressed as a red coat. And so dense in appearance was he that that this particular gentleman who worked there walked over to introduce himself and extended his hand to shake hands with this person. Upon which point, he disappeared in front of him. Oh, interesting. It's interesting that uh, in Gettysburg, for instance, there are many reports of uh, uh, parenthesis uh, reenactors who just disappear. 
So maybe they weren't reenactors. I, I was just thinking, I, I remember back to um, my own experiences at Marston Moor, which is an English Civil War battlefield from 1645. And uh, we we used to go up there uh, every every July, uh, July the uh, right of the first week of July. I can't remember the exact date. Um, the reason being, of course, is that um, on the anniversary of the battle, the locals would refuse to go onto the battlefield. And there had been many, many, many sightings going back 50, 50 years or more of people uh, seeing uh, English Civil War soldiers limping or dragging themselves across uh, alongside the roadway um, in some form of you know reenactment of the battle or some sequence of the battle. And mm-hmm. we went up there one year to be confronted by 2,000 reenactors, all in costume. And there's, of course, trying to uh, locate the ghost of a Cromwellian English Civil War soldier to be surrounded by 2,000 of them. Uh, it's quite a conundrum to tell the ghost from the living under those situations when they're all dressed the same. Well, that's why, you know, every good ghost hunter carries a stick in his bag. You poke him with a stick. Well, what we resorted to do was just counting them over and over and seeing if the numbers tally. But it was it, it, it was a we we had you know we we even discussed the possibility of would the reenactment and i know you know others have, have uh looked at this same idea of would the reenactment itself the fact that people are there reenacting an event would that act as a, a as a provocative catalyst? event yeah. or a catalyst yeah. some sort of pro, uh you know provocation of a spirit intervention yeah we've had on occasion the opportunity to maybe bring two red coat uniforms with us and to dress members of the team in those to see if it would encourage a a response or or increase in activity we've even had our female members of the team wear them to see if there would be any sense of it being disrespectful hello uh oh Okay, so it looks like we lost them, and uh, I blame uh, Steve for that, of course. But anyways, uh, we've been talking with Michael Benson and Steve Parsons from uh, the Fort, Duncannon Fort in uh, Wexford Island, and he's uh, over there doing some events with uh, Haunted Wexford, so uh, Wexford Paranormal, excuse me. And anyways, uh, that kind of threw me for a leech. <laughs> uh, as Nate said in the the chat room it is the demon of loftus hall again so uh could be very well could be anyway so tonight i i do want to mention is that uh is that we will be uh uh doing our red light seance again this is the uh the paranormal study group that i have we have been working uh on the red light seance oh look who there you oh, go. Yeah, we're back. I don't know what went wrong. Yeah, it was the demon of Austin's Hall. I heard that's what I. Yeah, I think we 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 I think we had an interference there from the from the other side. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to give a shout out to uh, a member of uh, of Michael's team who's in the chat room. Uh, he goes by the name of Mac something or other. 
Probably, probably it's either a Michael or a Pat. He's freaking Irish, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Michael, you're right. It is Michael. <laughs> Talking about that, we as I say today we were at the uh, we were at Euros, where uh, thousands and thousands of Americans uh, emigrated to America, and inside there is a, a long list. And what we spotted virtually straight away is by state the largest number of Irish. Claiming uh, uh, Americans claiming Irish ancestry is twenty six point seven percent for the state of Massachusetts. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, you're all Irish over actually, there. Ron, speak, speaking of Americans, we're actually looking forward to welcoming sixty uh, over in September. We'll be spending a day with us here in Wexford. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, they're coming over for the All Ireland Paracon that's on on the nineteenth and twentieth. But um, on the Thursday, then they're coming down to us via Cork. We're, I'm meeting him at Duncannon. We're going to have a, a walkthrough of the, the fort. We're coming to Extra Town. We're going to have a, a discussion around the Victorian ghost stories of the town as we walk the locations. And then we're going to spend about four hours together up in Enniscardi Castle that night. So that's going to be a, a fantastic opportunity. Oh, man. I should have got my ticket earlier. Yeah. Oh, oh, man, you can't because the dates he's just given should ring a bell for you, Rob. They did for me. They did? Yeah. What's happening yeah. The, that same weekend? Well, I can leave you there, and I can go over to Ireland. Well, you know, I've already turned down the opportunity to go to the All Island Paracon because you know, prioritising Spirit Quest. Uh, oh, yeah, Spirit Quest. That's right. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. well, for those of you who don't have that internal personal conflict, <laughs> it's, it would certainly be worth checking out because I know it's a fantastic weekend event. Um, I know if you check out um, IPI's page or the All Ireland Paracon on Twitter or on uh, on their website, you certainly get more information about that. Well, we've got to we've got to come back there with Ron, uh, Ron with, uh, and if you'd like to head over to the New England Ghost Project, anyghostproject.com and letter N, letter E, ghostproject.com. You can, if you can't fly the Atlantic, swim the Atlantic, or walk the Atlantic, you can certainly head over to New England for Spirit Quest. There we are. But the conclusion of it is that really people are spoiled for choice. They have two great events on the same weekend. There you go. Yeah. Two continents, it's, two events. There we go. And just in terms of personal experiences, I know somebody in the chat room asked earlier, Duncanon, I had reason to be there one Saturday afternoon with a photographer friend of mine. We were walking out of the long hall. And as we were, I turned to him and said, John, what did you say? And he looked at me and he said, no, you were talking to me. And we were about 18 inches apart, him directly at my back. So some voice other than mine or his tried in some way to make a, a statement for us to hear, we couldn't quite discern what was being said, but that was quite an interesting, again, personal experience that we had down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot seems to happen in the long haul. We, we had a radio crew in and we had significant banging of doors for the duration of their visit. They were wearing red coats, funny enough. Uh, mm-hmm. When they left that night, as a team, we went back for a full hour afterwards to make sure we were in the same environmental conditions um, and nothing happened with the door. You know, if anybody wants to, actually, you can see a video of that on our YouTube page. Which is? Um, yeah, Wexford Paranormal with uh, Beat 102 at Duncan and Fort. It's about 12 minutes long, but you'll see what was happening with the door. Wait a minute, 12 minutes of a door closing and opening? No, that's... They did it very slowly. That, that's Evidently. <laughs> no, 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 that's the full video <laughs> where you get to listen to me droning on about this, what we're doing and why we're doing it and... How we're was doing it, it. Wait a minute, was there a drink involved? I'm just sure. 12 minutes of a door opening and closing? I mean, that's the only <laughs> reason I would... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, Michael's making me nervous here because I've realised that... Um, 
because Ghostology this coming weekend is spending, or well, we'll we'll be there from ten in the morning till probably two a.m. Oh, and afterwards because mm. my boat home isn't till uh, much after that. But I'm wearing a red coat. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. interesting. Though, I mean, yeah. So I mean, you're not wearing a red coat. You're wearing a red coat. Uh, a red coat. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, there's the uh, doorbell, which means pizza from the dead is here. So we've got to wrap it up. Uh, cool. Michael, you want to give your website out so if people are interested in what you do, where they can go. Absolutely. If people want to track us down or see any of, of our material. Or Ghostology. Or, yeah, if you have something, nothing to do on Saturday, you've got time to book Ghostology still. And yes, you have plenty to do, but it's just www.wexfordparanormal.com and you'll find us on there. All right. And can I get your book there, Haunted Wexford? You can. It's available on Amazon, uh, the book depository, any of those sites as well. Or if people want to contact me directly, I can scribble on the inside page if they saw fancy. There you go. There you go. As I have a copy of yours, and I thank you very much for that. And if you're really interested in, in like, boring stuff, you can get Steve's new book. Not quite yet, you can't. Uh, Oh! It it goes on to Amazon very soon, and it's available in May. It's called Paracoustics. And and it is 150 pages of explaining how sound opened and closed that 12-minute door. And yeah, 500 pages of barisal guns and bullshit. There you go. <laughs> so, anyways, I want to thank you guys for uh, joining me today from uh, Ireland. It was an uh, interesting show, and I want to give a shout out to Mac in the uh, chat room, Michael, the other member of uh, Haunted Works. Is it Haunted Wexford or Wexford Paranormal? Wexford Paranormal is the team. Wexford Paranormal. Wexford is the, book. Mike, the other Michael works for the Water Board, doesn't he? He's in the <laughs> PR committee of the Irish Water Board. Okay. <laughs> Ron, so it's anyway, always a pleasure to chat. Yeah, and I want to mention to anybody else that uh, we will be doing another Red Light Seance tonight uh, here at uh, VZ Park. And uh, this is uh, an interesting it's, – it's getting more and more interesting as the weeks go by. So uh, we are recording everything, and hopefully we can uh, put together a final thing when this is all done. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Another 12-minute t- video. Another 12-minute video of a table opening and closing. <laughs> you know what? As long as you got a good beer in your hand, anything is good. Well, we're in the country famous, of course, for Guinness. That's right. I promise you the video is not as mundane as I've, I've made it, managed to make it sound. But it's uh-huh. better if you've got a Guinness. It's... it's I- Door banging with attitude, let's put it that way. Yeah, I can see you guys just sitting there with a the door on a hand. Does that door look like it's moving? <laughs> hey, Martha, that door could, just moved. Could be. Not sure, though. Michael, what do you think? I don't know. Might have been. Michael, what do you think? Where's the I don't fruit? know. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> From ghoulies to ghosties. Long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law. Have you heard? 